Good morning, everyone. I'm Sonia Poe, I'm presiding elder for this morning, and I'd like to welcome everyone, um, even on this cloudy, cool day. Uh, I'd like to welcome people to um, take out your pew pads, which are on the side, um, and have everyone sign in, please, and we know that you're here. And also welcome everyone to the coffee hour um, after the service, where you can meet new friends, old Um, and welcome new people. And I have a special announcement from Bruce, uh, our organist, Bruce Frank. He has declared um, organ open house after this service, which means anyone with families, anyone, children, adults, anyone who wishes to stay after the service and he will demonstrate the organ, and he said he'll even open it up. So anyone who is interested in this very, very, very special event today, um, go upstairs to the choir loft, which you can get to um, the stairs on the left door off the narthex, um, and I'm sure he will be delighted to see many of you. Thank you. Rise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Let us worship God.
Please join me in prayer. Creator God, you have made us for yourself and gifted us with earthly experience so we may learn the lessons and blessings of love and share you in Christ's name. When the leaves fall, we are reminded that the days we are given to accomplish our soul's purpose are limited. We know inwardly that we feel best about ourselves when we give ourselves to something more important than we feel we are. Our experience teaches us that ultimately it's more blessed to give than to see. In giving ourselves to your purpose, we find fulfillment and purpose. Receive the giving of our worship today. Fill us with your spirit that we be enabled to see each moment as a precious gift and opportunity and be strengthened to realize the earthly mission you have entrusted to us. Amen. The psalmist assures us that God is our dwelling place. God knows all of who we are. God cradles our brokenness, heals our sin, and nurtures us into a new way of being if we call, but call upon God in humility and trust. So together let us confess our sin, knowing that God is gracious to hear us. O compassionate God, Jesus our Savior, it's so easy for us to rattle off your great commandment, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love neighbors as ourselves. Yet we do not live it. Instead of loving you, we love the gods of our own making. Instead of loving our neighbor, we exploit, ignore, betray, and disregard one another. We are quick to judge others and slow to consider our own disobedience. Yet you see us clearly. Convict our hearts as only you can. Love us into a new way of being, the way that you commanded. Amen. Jesus exemplified the great commandment. Jesus loved God with all that he had, and he loved his neighbors, healing them, teaching them, calling them daughter and son. He loves us too, going to the cross for our sake. In his death and resurrection, the love of God is poured out on the world, and we, in turn, are empowered to love extravagantly. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Congregation may be seated. This morning we have some single verses from God's Word. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Others have been with those who rebel against the light. 
they do not want to know its ways nor abide in its paths. So the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, thank you. I'm going to invite other children that are here to come on up to the front. It's not often that we have a choir in the front. I, I saw a couple of the men that were sitting up here in the front pew, and the last time they can remember doing that is when they misbehave. Yeah, really. It's kind of fun. And uh, I brought something today that I... This is the first time I've ever brought this into worship. This is my cell phone. Yeah, and I thought I would take... I thought I would take a picture of it, uh, with it, take a picture of me with all of you, but that would be a selfie, right? And then I decided, no, I don't want to take a selfie. I want to just take a picture of all of you. And I don't know if that's called a Yuffie or, or not. Or do you just call that a picture? Just call it a picture. Oh, okay. And um, so um, I'm going to come over here and uh, take your picture. I, I don't know if you want to smile for this picture. Now, let's do this. Let's do one serious one and smile, and then we'll do a funny one where you make funny faces. How about that? Okay. That's one. Now you want to do funny faces? Okay, let's try that. Yeah. Pretty good. Thank you. I'll tell you what. I'll post those on Facebook, and you'll be able to see them. Would that be good? Yeah, I think that'd be kind of neat. What's that? Well, then you'd be able to see it, right, if I post it. Yeah. And, um, but pictures are important, and it, they remind us of things about real relationships because we could have an actual real relationship. For example, I could touch your hand, right? That's a little stronger than if, matter of fact, how about, does that feel better? Yeah, it's a little firmer handshake. And, and by touching your hand, we really have more of a relationship than if we just see. But if we see things, like a picture, it reminds us of relationships that we have. And one of the reasons why we read the Bible is it reminds us of God, even when we don't see God. You read, you sang, some of you sang, I believe in love even What? Even when I don't feel it. You know, I'll bet you if I asked all the adults and I asked them what love is, most of the adults would tell me that love is a feeling. And I think they're wrong. I think that love is an attitude that we take. And what other people feel is the attitude we take toward them. And if we take a loving attitude they may have a better chance of feeling love. So that's an important reminder. Let's pray about this. Lord God, we give you thanks for music today. And we give you thanks that you love us sometimes when we don't even see you except through the love of other people. So help us to be loving and people might see you through us too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great time in Sunday school today.
about right? Good morning. Over the last two Sundays, Bruce has provided images of our mission activities throughout the world, as well as pictures of activities, programs, and people involved with making our church mission a success here at home. Today I have an opportunity to speak with you about your generosity and how your support for the church helps fund our mission activities making it a success for this church. Briefly, our church mission, as you know, is to spread the good news of Jesus through worship, education, prayer, fellowship, and especially mission. Our 2014 church budget is... $727,000. As some of you may recall, we finished 2013 with an operating deficit of about $60,000. Based upon the tremendous support and response in last year's stewardship campaign, we put together a budget for 2014 that slashed that deficit in half to less than $30,000. Your pledges and contributions cover about 96% of our church operating expenses, with the remainder coming from endowment income. A balanced budget would, in fact, allow us 
to use the full measure of endowment income for those activities and programs, building needs that are not included in our operating budget. But clearly, your generosity in support of the church allows us to fulfill our mission and, importantly, be a blessing to others. I thought it might be helpful to take a look at our budget as it relates to the major functions that are performed here in the, in the church. Pastoral care, which represents the uh, terms of call and the support, the uh, salaries, benefits, and expense reimbursement to our pastors, represents about 30% of our budget, or $219,000. Our benevolence budget covers those activities that we support locally, regionally, and worldwide, along with our per capita giving to presbytery, about 13% or $83,000, $93,000. Our Christian education program, significant for all of our congregation. The cost of the program, curriculum, activities, and related staff salaries, about 15% of our budget or $111,000. Our worship activities, largely centered around our music, our wonderful music program, amount to about 62000 or 9% of our total budget. Our administrative work in the church office and related staff salaries amount to about 14% or $104,000. And lastly, maintaining, repairing our beautiful facility and the grounds, along with the staff salaries associated with that, about 16% or $113,000. These are all numbers, but what I'd like to do is spend a moment in each of these areas and show how each component of our church contributes to our overall mission in benefiting so many. Pastoral care certainly is in foremost minds of, of everyone associated with the church. We are truly blessed to have two dedicated, excellent, professional pastors ministering to us. Worship, is a, worship leadership is a large part of their responsibility, not only day-to-day -day Sunday activities, but also special activities such as weddings, funerals, and memorial services. Carrie mentioned to me that some of the most rewarding aspects of her ministry has been in those special services, where not only the opportunity is to benefit the families directly involved, but also the relatives, friends, guests that come to our church for those special ceremonies, because they, it's truly an opportunity to touch and build faith and strengthen the faith of all those involved. Many of us have had the opportunity and the blessing of counseling provided by Bruce and Carrie. And they make countless numbers of calls to hospitals, visiting with our members, and also with those who are unable to attend our service. They facilitate uh, 
11 boards and committees, all the associated work and meetings of those groups, and they participate actively in mission outreach in various aspects that we have, as we've seen. Bruce mentioned to me that when Kerry was first called to the church from seminary, under advice of seminary, she asked about establishing boundaries between her ministerial responsibilities and her personal life. Bruce very aptly said that, in fact, there are no boundaries. Ministry is a way of life for our pastors. We are so fortunate to have two dedicated, hardworking, and caring ministers available to us 24-7. The benevolence portion of our budget is managed by our outreach committee. They support 12 local organizations, adult and youth mission activities, and directly provide support to our missionaries. As you know, Doug Baker in Northern Ireland, the Prestons in South Africa, along with Adam Pollock and Julia Fakasa in Kenya. Also make a contribution to presbytery mission activities. And as mentioned, the per capita assessment also goes through the Presbyterian Church. As meaningful and as important as the operating budget in benevolence, I couldn't help but be astounded when I calculated that in addition to those funds, that $93,000, our membership contributes over $130,000 directly to our mission outreach activities. Opportunities in the Fellowship Hall to support the Heifer Fair, our youth mission activities, purchasing pies for Habitat, and the direct expense that uh, our members incur when they go on mission and disaster relief activities. And in effect, if you added the direct giving to the benevolence giving that we provide through our operating budget, over 25% of every dollar that flows through the church goes to mission and outreach. Truly an amazing and meaningful contribution that we make. Our Christian Education Committee, excuse me, program provides opportunities for over 250 adults and children through the Sunday school and nursery programs, helping our young adults move through confirmation class to membership in the church, our junior and senior high mission and fellowship activities, and the adult form in Bible study. Apart from the direct education aspect of this, the support that we provide, I believe, truly helps in faith building and in fellowship for all involved. I think it's safe to say that worship is central to our faith journey. And, as is evidenced this morning and every Sunday, our music program is an extremely important 
and beneficial part of our church worship service. The budget provides for the music, for our adult and youth choirs, vocal and bell. It provides for the guest musicians, musicians that come, maintaining our instruments, but most importantly, it supports our tremendous, superb music leadership. James, Bruce, Steve and Ashley Danu, Dee Dee Holmes, certainly provide us with a level of music that far surpasses many of the churches that we're aware of and we're most grateful. When I think of administration in the church office, the word fellowship comes to my mind. Whether you call in to speak with one of the pastors, perhaps get information uh, on a church activity or worship schedule, or if you walk into the church office with information on a board meeting or a fellowship activity you're involved with, you're sure to be greeted and assisted by competent, dedicated, and very caring church office staff. Seska and Doris as our church staff, along with many volunteers. And I don't think a day goes by when Betty Willard isn't in a church office volunteering. We're so happy and blessed to have these folks with us. Seska and Doris maintain over 1,000 records of church members, guests, friends, and in the course of a year, mail out over 10,000 mailings and communications, the good news, special offering mailings, stewardship mailings, and copy over 20,000 bulletins for our worship services weekly and those special worship programs. When I look back, I found that since in the last five years, we've actually reduced our church uh, operating costs, our office administration, by over 30%, which I think is pretty amazing in this uh, times we're living. How have we been able to do that? Well, we've certainly taken advantage of technological changes. Many of us are using the website to read our good news and other publications. But a large part of that reduction has been the result of volunteers who've spent their time and their talents with our computer system, both the hardware, the software, our website, and we're deeply indebted to all the folks involved who are uh, comically referred to as our geek squad. They do so much for us. When we think of the church, we can't help but think of the beautiful building and the grounds that we enjoy. You realize that in the course of a year, we have over 1,200 activities that go on in our church building, in addition to 
the, uh, the nursery school that operates here eight months of the year. There's over 20,000 square feet of building space that must be cleaned and maintained, along with other mechanical work that has to be done throughout the building. To put that in perspective, what if you were responsible for cleaning and maintaining eight average-sized homes on your street, and every day of the year, four of those homes had some social gathering involved? That's a lot of work. Did you know that it costs about $100 a day in utilities just to provide the, the comforts of this building? But we are truly blessed with the staff and the volunteers who maintain our facility and work so hard to make it an attractive and welcoming place for all of our church occasions. Your financial support provides for all of this in the church. Did you know that we're, in fact, a growing congregation? And contrary to many of the churches, Presbyterian churches, that are actually losing membership at the rate of about 5% a year, we are actually growing through our new member class and continued uh, work with, in, with folks in the community. Our mission and outreach activities, as Bruce and Carrie have mentioned to me, far surpass those of churches that are larger than ours, both in terms of membership and budget. As I mentioned earlier, the combined outreach and mission support exceeds 25% of all the funds coming to our church. And I truly believe that this mission and outreach activity and programs that we provide is a major region, reason why many people choose to worship with us. Our staff and volunteers provide the time and the talent to enable our mission. I've been asked on several occasions to calculate the value of our volunteer time. And much as I enjoy working with numbers, that's a task that's virtually impossible. I can't begin to estimate the number of hours that members of our congregation give of themselves for the mission of this church. And who's to put a dollar value on that time? As the saying goes, your contributions are priceless. Your 2015 pledge will help us to continue our mission, to be a light to others, and to be a benefit to all. Thank you for your support.
Rob, truly phenomenal as we think about the incalculable number of hours that you contribute to making our church mission possible. Thank you. The Apostle Paul writes to us with these encouraging words. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The encouraging word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think one of the most difficult subjects on which to speak in any way is one we're going to tackle just for a brief while today. Be assured that what I'm about to say is something very uncomfortable for pastors to discuss. And quite simply, we just don't want to introduce the subject because it feels so self-serving. It feels very wrong to encourage people to give of themselves when we might benefit, and frankly, we do. Our salaries come from the sacrificial giving of others, and to talk about that subject publicly makes me feel absolutely awful. I have seen poverty. Martha and I saw it yesterday. Two of us went down to the People's Ministry in Christ, which is a ministry in the city of Rochester along Dewey Avenue. This is a ministry project of the Presbytery of Genesee Valley, and you as a congregation support it with your money. People that live in that part of the city live mostly on SSI, Social Security Supplemental Income. Some of them are homeless. They first gathered in the rundown building for prayer, and there were children who came too. We set up tables, and then in the parking lot of a convenience store of sorts, it's a kind of a convenience store where people go, and I want to use a helpful phrase here, to give 
while they go to get their um, non-prescription pharmaceuticals. We put out winter coats that we had brought, clothing that you had donated. It was not there for sale, although we thought that offering them for sale might have actually provided some more dignity. We have wondered if making things available for a small price, even 10 cents, says to someone, it was not handed to me, I purchased this, but everything for Blessing Day at People's Ministry in Christ was there for free. And I thought to myself, how dare I come here this morning and fillet this passage of 2 Corinthians and encourage people to give when I am blessed and I have just seen people who are not. Late yesterday afternoon, I went out to mow the grass and rake leaves, and I thought about our morning. And I thought, well, I'll escape a little of what I've seen. So in the evening, Martha and I went to the Jiva to see the play Good People. I really didn't know much about the play, except it was set in urban Boston. But the play is actually about a single mother who loses her job at a dollar store whose entertainment is going to a bingo parlor. It was a contrast between those who struggle and those whose lives appear on the outside to be very blessed. Play is amazingly well acted and directed. It is entertaining and maybe a performance if you would go to see it where people want to sit down and say, let's talk together about what we have experienced through this. I mean, it feels so trite to say to you and to say to me that we feel better about ourselves when we share and give away our talents, our resources. Why can't I do this as easily as the Apostle Paul seems to be able to do when he just writes to the church about it? He doesn't seem to feel any guilt, no embarrassment. I'm aware that you and I are blessed. Millions of people in the world today would be thrilled to have the problems that you and I have. We have access to good health care. We're blessed by people who love us. We don't have to struggle too hard to get food to eat. And it's important to know we have the freedom to gather in this place like this and worship. I thought maybe I should do what a minister of a little country church did who was having trouble with his offering. One Sunday announced, now before we pass the offering plate, I would like to request that the person who stole the chickens from Brother Martin's hen house please refrain from giving any money to the Lord. The Lord does not want money from a thief. The ushers received the offering and it seemed that everyone in the congregation put something in that Sunday. (laughs) You listen to Paul Harvey? I used to. Several years ago, it was about Thanksgiving time, he told about this couple who had some leftovers. And he talked about the difference between the leftover mentality and the abundance mentality. And the way 
that Harvey talked about it, you need just a small bit of backup information to know that every year Butterball Turkey Company sets up a hotline to answer consumer questions about how to prepare their turkeys for Thanksgiving. So one woman called in to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. (laughs) And the operator told her that it might be safe to serve the turkey if the freezer had been kept at zero degrees all that time. And then the operator warned her that even if it was safe, the flavor would not be all that good. And she wouldn't recommend eating it. And the caller said, well, that's kind of what we thought. We'll just give it to the church. (laughs) Kind of makes you want to cry, doesn't it? (laughs) I I do some eclectic reading from time to time, and... and, um, Last Sunday, there was a book review in the New York Times, so I decided, you know, this is pretty meaningful. I'm going to go and download the book onto my nook and read a little bit. The title of the book is The Path, Path Appears. The book is written by Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wu Dunn. It's not a book that makes you feel very good in some ways, and others maybe feel pretty pretty well. It's their fourth collaborative effort between these two, and they've done an analysis of who gives what in this country. Here's the disturbing part, and this is only generally, okay? Generally, the larger your income the smaller the percentage of your giving. Wow. And then in the book, they make this observation. If you want to improve your self-esteem, give more. The general persuasion is that people's self-esteem will be elevated when they receive something. Somebody knows I'm here, gives me a gift. But they say, no, all of the data that we see report the opposite, that self-esteem comes when we give. So I'm here today to kind of encourage us to give. I think that we could make a significant difference in the world. By the way, if you want to know which billionaire gives the most as a percentage, it's Oprah. Which I thought was fascinating. When we give, we begin to think about our roots and why and what we believe. If you're like me, you have probably thought, I, I don't like uh, uh, lotteries, by the way, because I kind of consider lotteries to be the rape of the poor. The people who really put a lot of money into our lotteries are the people who really don't have the funds. But I have thought in my time, uh, if I won the Powerball jackpot, uh, 
If God should bless me that way, what needs would I meet? I mean, we're sitting here in this beautiful church. Do you think we have this wonderful facility if other people had only given their second best? Would we have what we have today if other people had given only what was left over? We have the blessings we have because others before us have sacrificed, did without, did their very best. Back in September, it's wonderful what Ms. Cothran did. I don't think this will be long forgotten. With permission of the school superintendent, the principal, and the building supervisor at Robinson High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, she took all of the desks out of her classroom. Students came in the first period. There were no desks. Ms. Cothran, where are the desks? And she said, You can't have a desk until you tell me how you will earn them. Uh, We'll get good grades. Oh, that won't work, she said. If we're good for you, if we have good behavior, maybe we can get the desks. No, you don't earn them through your behavior. So they came and went out the first period, still no desks in the classroom, second period, third period. By early afternoon, television crews had gathered in Ms. Cothran's class to find out about this crazy teacher who had taken all the desks out of the classroom. The last period of the day, Martha Cothran gathered her class, and they were at this time sitting on the floor. Matter of fact, she invited any of the other classes that wanted to come in. And so they kind of filled the floor, and she said, Now I will tell you. Martha Crothran went over to the door of her classroom and opened it. And as she did, 27 veterans, wearing their uniforms, walked into the classroom, each carrying a desk. They placed the school desks in rows, and then they stood along the wall, And by the time they had finished placing the desks, the students, for the first time, I think, knew more about how they earned the desks. And Ms. Cothran said, you don't have to earn these desks. These did it for you. They put them out there for you but it's up to you to sit here responsibly to learn, to be good students, to be good citizens, because they paid the price for you to have that desk, and I don't want you to forget it. Throughout history, there have been people who have given their all, including their very lives, that the gospel might be preached in places like this. Some of us might want a free ride on their devotion, and, and that just won't do. St. Paul has asked us here to excel in our giving. 
And indeed, he finally brings up the ultimate comparison of the Christ. He reminds us of what Christ gave on our behalf. He writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm sure that uh, most of you learned a lot about the Frenchman Marquis de Lafayette. Lafayette was an extremely uh, rich French general and a politician, and he was very sympathetic to the American cause and the colonists, and he assisted George Washington in our fight with Great Britain. And then he returned to France, and he resumed his life as a master of several estates. Here's what you probably don't know about Marquis de Lafayette. In 1783, the harvest in France was very poor. But the workers of Lafayette's farm still managed to fill his barns with wheat. The bad harvest had raised the price of wheat. One of his workers came to him and said, Monsieur, it is now time to sell. Lafayette thought about all the hungry peasants and he said, no. Now is the time to give. And that's what he did. And Marquis de Lafayette fed France. He understood excellence in giving. Frankly, I think you do too. I encourage us to give. Carrie, if you'd be kind enough to lead us in a prayer, that would be good. We have a prayer dedicating your generous gifts in our bulletin together. Lord Jesus, you lived in this dimension of time, and you made every moment, every word, and every deed count for love of the one who sent you and the ones to whom you were sent. We would learn from you, and so we offer ourselves, our time and talents, energy and material resources for the work of your continuing mission upon earth. Bless us and receive our giving, we pray.
Well, friends, the beautiful flowers that you find on the retable are given by Diana Adams in memory and love of her first late husband. And we give thanks and praise, Diana, for your beautifying our chancel with that dedication. We also give thanks and praise for the gift of significant birthdays. Yesterday was Pierce Day's 90th. Yes, so when you see him, give him a hug. Absolutely. And it gets better, friends. Catherine Wegor on November 13th will be 100 years old. We haven't had a centenarian for a very long time, and I was excited about this possibility. I'm going to bring into worship next Sunday pre-addressed birthday cards. If you are interested in sending her a card, fill it out, give it back to us, we'll mail it. Let's give her 100 birthday cards on her 100th birthday. Wouldn't that be great? Okay, so help me with that little conspiracy theory. We're also excited about giving thanks for the many ways that God heals us. And we, I have this lovely prayer request um, anonymously for, for all of our college students away at school, that they make safe and wise choices. Dan Wilborn was in worship earlier today. He, he snuck out to go participate in high school forum. Dan is back from Notre Dame And he chose to worship with us even though his family couldn't be with us today because they're off doing an event for Emily. That says something about how much he feels about this congregation, how how you have made him feel that this is his church home. We give thanks and praise, and so we pray for those. Len Parker, we lift up in prayer your friend Carolyn Cox, who is suffering from Parkinson's. And may God grace her as she makes this journey. We also give thanks and praise for the many ways that this congregation bandies together for generations. Kelly, our prayers are with your husband, Eric Deedle, for his surgery on Tuesday to remove his colon in the hopes that this will cure the ulcerative colitis and give him a better lease on life. Now, a lot of you know Kelly from Logos, but for those generations who might not know her as well, you might know the Hanreddies and the Gardeners of whose family she is a heritage. We give thanks and praise for the loving coming around you. So we will be in prayer for Eric on Tuesday. Please join me in prayer, friends. Source of steadfast love in the morning. In you, Lord, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. With your favor upon us, the work of our hands prospers to your honor and glory. The fruits of your goodness have brought light to your people. Gleanings of the harvest have reflected your grace. When with fear and trembling your followers have faced an unknown future, you have sent forth your spirit to comfort their plight. We thank you, O God, that your presence abides with us. We rejoice in the truth that Christ died to make known. We pray with the assurance that you know of our needs before we utter the words. And so in humility we pray as your Son taught us to, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
I encourage you and I encourage me to give. To give of ourselves. To give a little hope. To give a little love. Give some of what God has given to us. Give a little money. That the world might know that God loves the world. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.